Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. You know what no one likes? A complex situation with no easy, fully satisfying answer. And that's what we have in our schools right now amidst the Omicron surge. We can test, we can ensure everyone wears a higher quality mask. But with this variant of the virus, transmission happens where people gather. How do you fully protect teachers, students, and all of their families while doing in-person learning? You can't. And yet, the schools are open, even as waves of kids test positive or have to quarantine. So today, we're going to talk about what's happening on the ground in different Bay Area school districts and dig into the ethics of this experiment in trying to recreate some kind of normalcy in these strange times. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. If you're a parent, a teacher... A student, you work at a school, you work with people who have kids in school, I probably don't need to tell you. It's a mess out there. Staff shortages, kids and staff testing positive, the inability to find or schedule tests, confusion over who needs to isolate or quarantine. Santa Clara County's lead public health official, Sarah Cody, has advocated strong public health measures since the beginning, but this week issued a statement urging schools to stay open. Some teachers in Oakland, San Francisco, and other districts have called in sick to protest what they say are unsafe working conditions. We know many of you out there listening to this are frustrated and you need to talk and think through what's happening. So here to help us do that, we'd like to welcome our guests. First up, Dr. Bonnie Maldonado, professor of pediatrics and of epidemiology and population health chief in the division of pediatric infectious diseases at Stanford University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Maldonado. Thank you for inviting me. We also have Arthur Kaplan, director of the division of medical ethics at NYU Langone Medical Center. Welcome, Arthur. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And we have Ali Tadian, a reporter with EdSource covering the West Contra Costa County School District. Welcome, Ali. Thanks for having me. Ali, let's start with you. Uh, we kind of want to use West Contra Costa County as a bit of a microcosm here. Tell us what's happening in that school district right now. Well, like, like many Bay Area school districts, uh, West Contra Costa Unified, after returning from winter break, on uh, last Monday, saw a lot of student COVID cases and a lot of uh, teacher absences. Um, last week, they even had to uh, close the King Elementary School campus and switch to remote learning after a surge of more than 10 student cases. Um, and, you know, after after seeing some, some major teacher shortages, um, they had to call in the equivalent of snow day for uh, Friday and today. Uh, so there will be no instruction 
uh, today and there was none on Friday. Uh, a snowvid day to actually just get, get enough staff healthy and out of quarantine or isolation back into the classroom. Right. And, and to give time for the folks that, for the students as well, who are, uh, who are quarantining to, uh, to recover. Yeah. You know, Dr. Maldonado, there was some hope earlier in the pandemic that kids would not be as good at transmitting the virus as adults, but it seems pretty obvious now that kids are both getting and giving Omicron. Yeah. Well, there were a a lot of pieces of misinformation about children, and I still think that children continue to be underplayed uh, during this pandemic because the vast majority of hospitalizations and deaths occur in people over 65. But that's not to say that children aren't important in this pandemic, and whether they are more transmissible or not, they can still get sick and infect others and and, uh, get uh, admitted to hospitals. So I think we need to emphasize protecting their children. And I think one of the points that needs to be made right off the bat is that people need to be vaccinated. And I know that vaccines aren't the cure here, but that is really one fundamental step uh, in addition to masking and distancing, not only in schools, but in communities to keep our kids safe. Yeah. What are you seeing down there at Stanford in your hospital system with uh, kids right now? Oh, we are seeing record numbers of kids in the hospital, records. This is after two years of a pandemic. Now that said, uh, they aren't as sick as we saw kids last year, but they're still sick enough to be hospitalized. And people keep coming up with this idea, oh, that they're hospitalized with COVID, not for COVID. Well, there's a small percentage that are hospitalized with it, but many of them are sick and and a number of them are on oxygen. So um, yeah, so we're, we're definitely seeing the effects here and around the country and kids. Can you give us a sense, you know, not just of sort of record or percentages, but the sort of absolute numbers of kids and that you're seeing in your system? Um, well, our emergency department's test positivity rate, we have a separate pediatric emergency room mm-hmm. and adult emergency room, and we are seeing record numbers of positive kids coming in. So kids coming in to be tested the rate of positivity is, is astronomical. Yeah. And as I mentioned, we are seeing the highest numbers of kids in the hospital. And by the way, pregnant women as well, um, uh, who have come in with uh, symptoms of COVID. So, and, and we're not the only ones. It's, it's all around. We are definitely seeing across the country, the American Academy of Pediatrics has said that essentially one in 10 kids since the beginning of the pandemic has been infected. And the hospitalization rates are also extremely high um, around the country, um, with the South having, leading the way. Yeah. But certainly, we're, we're still seeing effects here in the West. I'd actually be surprised if it wasn't many more than one in 10 kids since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you know, as you noted, the vast majority of, of deaths uh, from COVID have been people over the age of 65 plus. But Many pediatricians and other public health officials have been warning about the other repercussions of just letting a virus go unchecked through any population. And uh, recently there was a new CDC study out showing that kids have a higher risk of developing diabetes after they have COVID. Did you see that research? And if you did, what do you kind of make of it or how do you contextualize it within other childhood risks? Well, again, this comes back to my point of underplaying children. You know, children are at a very formative stage in life, and we don't really understand what this virus may do to their development. Certainly, we know that the impacts of staying home for as long as they have already 
have really ha had serious effects on their neurodevelopment uh, or neurodevelopmental opportunities. But um, even earlier on, I was talking to my colleagues here in endocrinology who were just saying they had never in their decades of uh, caring for children seen this many kids with diabetes um, who after COVID. Now, obviously those were anecdotes, but now we're seeing that that's borne out in the research. And we don't know what other long-term damage there will be. We certainly know that MISC, which is a very serious but rare condition after COVID that primarily happens in children, can actually lead to long-term cardiac and lung uh, damage. Uh, so again, there are other factors that can really affect children besides the acute illness and even a hospitalization. Yeah. So we know you parents out there you people who know parents need to talk about what's going on. What are your questions and concerns about schools and this COVID surge? What precautions are you taking? Are you considering not going to school, changed masks? And what do you want to ask experts about how to keep students and teachers safe? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. We actually already have a ton of comments from KQED's Instagram. Uh, but you can give us a call, 866-733-6786 and get in touch uh, through Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or you can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. Um, Arthur Kaplan, ethicist at NYU, there's new data out on standardized test scores in California, and surprisingly, they fell uh, from 2019 to 2021 during the sort of pandemic era, uh, especially uh, among low-income and younger kids, uh, as, as well as uh, Latino students really took a, a heavy hit. Um, so given all that we've said so far about the COVID risks, we understand that virtual learning, as it is called, um, it doesn't work that well yet still for most students. Um, should schools be open? And how do we make this decision from your position? Well, it's a miserable set of choices because we know there's damage to kids in terms of their psychosocial development when they have to stay home. It just isn't as good as being in person. I'm willing to credit that they don't learn as well, but you know, it's not good overall in terms of socialization and so forth. And at the same time, uh, we don't want to send uh, kids in when the staff is down, when teachers are out, when the older, uh, if you will, workforce is worried about their own safety and they won't go in and substitutes won't appear. So sadly, it's a, it's a classic dilemma of trying to figure out how to protect who. And I think the way I think about it is first, the kids' interests have to come first. They're the most important. They have the biggest claim, if you will. They've got a lot of life to live. We don't want to damage them. They are not capable of, if you will, looking out for themselves. So I would put kids' interests first. Then you have to ask, in this climate, what is in the best interest of kids? And I wanna make two points. One is not all kids and not all situations are the same relative to school. We act as if it's school's open or school isn't open, but maybe school should be open for, I'm just making this up, high school kids, but not necessarily open for kindergartners because it's a different situation. And I'll defer to experts here about, you know, what's a better, uh, experience and what's important given developmental landmarks and so on. But my point being, if your kid is going to one type of school where there's adequate ventilation and good class size, 
that may not be the same as a school where the building's old and the ventilation stinks and everybody's crammed together and there's one teacher for, you know, 35 students. So I don't like this view that one size fits all in answering this question. The other point I want to make is I keep hoping if we all agreed that maybe we could delay school three weeks and see if the um, COVID outbreak from Omicron would calm down, mm-hmm. it would be easier then to get into the uh, debate. And I know nobody wants another delay or stall, but I'm talking weeks, not six months. Is it possible to say it's bad to sail into a storm when we see the storm, if we think the storm might calm down? And some experts think that this COVID uh, outbreak from the new variant may peak. Yeah, just in a couple of weeks. That's right. You know, I wanted to uh, echo a a sentiment. saw a a tweet by Aubrey Hirsch uh, saying... Sending love to all the parents out there, especially of under fives facing impossible choices this morning. There are absolutely zero good options and you're doing the best you can. Whatever you do, please don't feel like expletive for choosing a bad option when there are only bad options. And I just know that that's the situation we're dealing with uh, uh, among my friends and at my house. And I know that many of you are also feeling that and just want to say, uh, echo that. A couple of comments um, from listeners Uh, A listener writes on Instagram about the inconsistency on testing. I don't understand why schools don't have one solid plan on testing and protocols. My son's school didn't ask us to test until two days before school was supposed to start and then decided to do distance learning until January 18th. We're seeing so many different testing protocols. No one knows exactly what to do. We'll be talking about that and much more when we get back. We'd love to hear from you. What are your questions and concerns? You just need to vent. Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more Forum after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? you left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about families and schools coping with the Omicron variant. We're joined by Dr. Bonnie Maldonado, professor of pediatrics and of epidemiology and population health, chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stanford University School of Medicine. We also have Ali Tadian, a reporter with EdSource covering the West Contra Costa School Unified District, Unified School District, sorry about that, and other K-12 topics. We also have Arthur Kaplan, Director of the Division of Medical Ethics. 
Want to add another voice in the conversation, trying to give you a lot of different perspectives this morning on this very difficult topic. We're joined by Mary Jane Burke, Superintendent of Schools in Marin County. Welcome, Superintendent Burke. Thank you very much. So I want to talk to you about just some of the just raw logistical challenges here. You know, uh, before the break, Arthur Kaplan, ethicist at NYU, was wondering aloud whether we shouldn't have delayed school for a few weeks in order to sort of duck this wave. Are you aware of any Bay Area districts or did you consider this yourself? And uh, if not, why not? Um, I'm not aware, actually, of any Bay Area districts that determined to um, not open school. Um, We definitely um, have long held that the safest place for students and staff um, is actually in the classrooms with the mitigation strategies in place. Uh, we were able to be part of the first wave of the, of the overall um, pilot for the antigen testing and were able to distribute to all students and staff in our public, private, and independent schools prior to the recess, uh, the antigen test. So we knew that we would have uh, the ability to ensure that students or staff who were uh, positive would not enter the school um, at those first days back to school. And what did the numbers look like when they came uh, back? The numbers are approximately 4% of both uh, students and staff who uh, tested positive. So, uh, and that was, you know, higher than we had had seen before. We were running uh, somewhere around one to 2%. So mm-hmm. it was higher, but it was actually the, I think the perfect the perfect strategy. And we had been involved in an antigen pilot uh, for the state um, beginning in the fall. Yeah. You know, uh, the you said you maintain that the safest place for staff and students is in the classroom with the mitigation efforts that you're taking. What do you mean by that? That if, they, that if the students didn't come in, their parents would be forced to find other childcare arrangements, thereby kind of scattering them into different places and, and possibly uh, putting them at greater risk of exposure. Right. That's exactly, that's, you know, exactly well said. Um, we actually ha- did a research study uh, in Marin County that actually proved this point out in terms of what the data was showing. But when you're in a structured environment uh, with everyone following the strategies, um, working obviously high rates of vaccination, et cetera, but when it's so structured, then we um, find that the information is very reliable about students essentially um, not uh, passing the virus or staff not not, uh, passing the virus. So that's been, I think, sort of our hallmark since uh, we opened schools, you know, last year, I think you're probably aware that Marin County schools were all fully open um, during the 2021 school year. Yeah. Uh, One last question before we uh, go to the phones here, Superintendent Burke, the, what about your staff? (laughs) You know, in, in some school districts, there have been, you know, wildcat strikes, there have been, um, teachers who have said the conditions are, are unsafe for them to work. Is that what you're seeing in your school district? No, no, we're not. Um, I would say that if it, like, why, why is it, what makes it uh, different? I think our communication strategies have been strong, highly effective. 
um, reliable and constant during this um, entire uh, pandemic. So we have, for example, dedicated times to actually speak to uh, the labor, the labor, our labor partners. We've also been very consistent about ensuring that our staff has what it is they need to feel safe. And it could look different from one staff member to another. So um, throughout this pandemic, for example, um, N95 or KN95 masks have been available, even if a staff member, you know, if, even if they didn't want to use it, but if someone wanted it, it was available. So it's not a situation where people are having to um, beg for the appropriate, let's say, PPE. Um, and our data uh, over time really has shown that the transmissions were not happening in our classrooms. And I think that helped. We didn't, so we didn't just rely on data that came from national or state, but also continued to maintain Marin specific data. And I think that helped a lot. And our public health partners have been willing and ready to communicate around any and all issues um, on a moment's notice. So we speak yeah. to them daily and they provide public opportunities um, more than once a week. I want to get to uh, the phones. I just sure. want to bookmark for everyone who might be thinking this out there. Is the data we have going to hold up for Omicron as we face this surge right now? I think that's one of these big overarching questions. We're going to get back to that. First up, uh, Margo in Pleasant Hill. Welcome to the show. Hi. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a mom of two young kids, and one is six, so he is fully vaccinated, and they mask at school. But it seems like the chances are still pretty high that they could contract COVID. And I'm wondering if there's much research on the risk of the long-term effects in vaccinated kids versus unvaccinated kids. Can we feel any safer against those long-term effects? if we vaccinate or is it kind of just seems like they could have this risk anyway, regardless of if they're vaccinated or not hmm. in the long term. Dr. Maldonado, what's the latest on that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. We don't, uh, we don't see those data yet because we're still just following cohorts of kids who have long COVID. The federal government has funded a number of studies and, um, we are just doing those for kids who, who have disease. And so we don't really know yet what the long-term implications are at this point. So um, more to come there. But in general, uh, our sense is that kids who are vaccinated and adults who get sick are much less likely to have severe illness. It's, it's astronomically smaller. Uh, for example, in a study of 1.2 million adults um, who were fully vaccinated, um, very few, I think it was 1,500, wound up being hospitalized, and there were 36 who passed away from COVID after being fully vaccinated, and most of those had underlying conditions. So my sense is that we're going to see less impacts from long COVID in vaccinated kids, but we don't have those data yet. Yeah. Well, we know you need to get back to taking care of our kids, which we really appreciate that. Dr. Bonnie Maldonado, professor of pediatrics and of epidemiology, as well as the population health chief in the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stanford University School of Medicine. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Maldonado. Thanks so much. And Ali, 
today. Tadian, we're also going to let you go. Reporter with EdSource covering the West Contra Costa Unified School District and other K-12 through topics. Thanks so much, Ali, for joining us. Thank you. And we're going to welcome in a couple of new voices as well. Joining us, Jeff Freitas, president of the California Federation of Teachers. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And we also have Dr. Naomi Bardak, a pediatrician and associate professor of pediatrics and health policy at UCSF and the former lead of the California Safe Schools for All team. Welcome, Dr. Bardak. Thank you so much. Good morning. So, uh, Mr. Freitas, wanted to ask you about what your we, earlier we asked a question. Should schools be open? Uh, what do you think? Uh, absolutely. It's a great question. Um, we've been working with uh, local districts. We've been working with the state agencies to try to keep schools open and safe. Um, we've been focused on the vaccine um, and trying to get those uh, distributed. We've supported the governor's uh, uh, executive orders on vaccines, the vaccine test, and then this coming summer, the vaccine mandate. Um, we have been working with the governor to try to get these tests out. Um, so important to be able to test and trace um, and uh, mass. And we uh, you may have seen the governor's announcement yesterday about getting N95 masks out. So we're trying to get all the measures out there um, to, to keep our schools open. Unfortunately, there are some places where the staff shortage is so much, um, as was noted earlier, I think, by uh, Mr. Kaplan, um, that you know, it makes it difficult to make a safe environment for students. So our focus, our work has been focused on keeping schools open. Um, we hope to do that. Uh, we have seen some schools mitigate with uh, short closures, and uh, um, we're trying to work with those uh, those areas that are having those sharp staff shortages and huge student absences. Yeah. Superintendent Burke, uh, superintendent of uh, schools in Marin County, earlier you mentioned that we have data both from the national level, but also you have local data in Marin about the low levels of transmission in schools, right? I... I think one of the really difficult things right now is how do you try... We know Omicron is more transmissible. We know that in some contexts it had previously been fairly safe. There's been pretty substantial transmission. So what's the plan in Marin if we actually find out that the mitigation measures that had been working to this point don't work from here on out? Well, we will definitely have public health. Our public health doctors, Dr. Matt Willis and Lisa Santora, who have provided uh, the lead in any and all moves we have made in this arena. And so we'll essentially listen to what they say. And if they thought that in order to keep kids safe, uh, that we needed to rethink the strategy of keeping our schools open, then we would follow their lead for sure. Um, but uh, what we have seen um, is that with the ability to uh, reliably uh, collect data, test, et cetera, that we're able to um, feel that things are going well and we're, comp you know, we're very, very, you know, very confident that we'll be able to uh, keep things moving forward. Um, and we've also, on the issue of the staffing um, issue, the districts are approaching this in a variety of different ways. Um, people, you know, for example, in my office, we have 
you know, all of the uh, members of the central office and beyond are signed up over these next days in the event that we need other people to help buoy our, you know, staffing patterns and substitutes. So, you know, people are looking at all the strategies. Then, as far as I'm concerned, the number one priority is to make sure of all the work that's happening is to make sure that we um, align uh, staff to our classrooms so that they can stay open. Yeah. Superintendent Mary Jane Burke up there in Marin County, we're rooting for you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us this morning. Sure. Thank you. Jeff Freitas, President, California Federation of Teachers, wanted to ask you about some of the wildcat strikes that have happened, at least in San Francisco and Oakland. Um, members have said you know, anonymously to the press that they don't feel that the mitigation measures that are in place are sufficient to protect them. Um, what has your response to that been? And we've been working with the local unions. The local uh, unions have been fighting very vigorously to make sure that the, the, we have the masks in place, that the masks are being provided, that the testing is being provided. Um, and we, uh, we're still negotiating with the districts, uh, the unions, nor uh, CFT at the state level, um, or the local unions at the, the local level are supporting these um, these strikes, these walkout wildcat strikes, or the, these uh, these sick outs. Um, but I, I also want to point out that we need to thank the educators that are um, uh, there and are working to make sure that our schools are safe and open. Um, they're, they're, the amazing work that they've been doing, the, the bus drivers, the, the janitors, the teachers, the counselors, um, everyone that's been focused to make sure that these schools um, have been providing the education for our students in this crisis type of situation. And it's unprecedented. Um, we thought uh, a year ago we saw high levels. We, the, the number of positive cases are triple that what we've ever seen before, according to what I'm, I'm re- reading on the reports. Um, and that, that's just, uh, we, we've never seen anything like this. And so that's what we're dealing with. Um, but uh, we are focused on trying to uh, work with our administrators to keep our schools uh, open and safe and that both things are required there. Yeah. Let's bring in Brandy from San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm a San Francisco um, public school parent, and I just wanted to share a little bit what's going on. Um, First of all, there are Bay Area schools that have gone remote. Hayward Unified has gone remote. And SFUSD, our staff um, and teachers and students do not have access to KN95 masks, even though our, our unions have been mandating it. We do not have weekly testing. SF Unified did not send families and staff home with tests that we could take over the week. Um, Unlike LAUSD that has been doing weekly testing ever since the beginning of the fall semester, we have not had that available at all of our schools. It's required in LA and San Francisco has not. Our district has not even applied for for FEMA funds. Um, We have kids wearing cloth masks in school that are sometimes falling down. And I do not blame it, uh, our educators at all for being safe because we do not, quite honestly, have the mitigations in our public schools in San Francisco to keep them safe. Um, we had a couple of school board members, Allison Collins and Gabriela Lopez, who put forth a resolution to make sure that these things got in place. They put that the resolution was voted in in October and our administration has failed to make sure that COVID mitigations are in place in our public schools. So um, I'm really glad that things are going very well in in Marin, but it's a totally different um, scenario. Our school board president has asked the San Francisco Department of Public Health to come to school board meetings, and they have refused to come. So um, we're in very dire straits here in San Francisco. 
Thank you for that update from on the ground in San Francisco, Brandy. Really appreciate that. Arthur Kevin, I want to send this one your way. What are the ethics of parents sending their kids to school when their teachers are saying that adequate measures haven't been taken? Yeah, tough question. I think one wants to pay attention to what other parents are seeing in terms of safety. One wants to be sure that, as the caller just said, testing is around and available so that at least there's a minimum chance of sending an infected child to school where your child might be exposed. I think, again, as I've tried to say, there may be different answers to this question depending on whether your child can be vaccinated versus can't in terms of where they go, in terms of whether they can follow instruction, say high school kids versus someone in the first grade, although maybe the first graders mask better, I don't know, but you know, uh, trying to be realistic about what they can do. And then knowing where is the school, we're getting a sense that Marin is not San Francisco. And I can assure you that neither of those are the Bronx, uh, not far from where I'm sitting, where schools are a mess and, you know, there's very little resources available. Parents have to be thinking about that as well. So complex formula, complex algorithm, but I think not the same answer. I want to stress it again for every Mm -hmm. parent. Yeah. Have some great comments here I wanted to read. One listener writes, as a parent, I'm concerned schools will close again. Distance learning is not a long-term viable option. My kids are vaccinated. Make it a requirement for return in person. Other places have vaccine mandates. Why not schools? Compared with 2020, there's less fear. We're more educated. But we're also pandemic weary. We have to learn to live with COVID-19. Marika writes, I'm concerned that my sweet mama, who has basically given her life to teaching and is only a few years from retirement, will catch COVID. She's high risk and children, although thankfully are getting vaccinated, are not the best physical distancers nor mask wearers. I feel you, Marika. My dad is almost 80 and works in a school. Listener writes... We need the state to extend COVID sick leave. I'm coming back from maternity leave in a month and have no remaining sick days for when I inevitably get sick from or exposed to COVID. Or I'd add, your kid does. We're talking about families and schools and how they're coping with the Omicron variant with Arthur Kaplan, director of the Division of Medical Ethics at NYU Medical Center. Jeff Freitas, president with the uh, California Federation of Teachers, and Naomi Bardock, a pediatrician and associate professor of pediatrics and health policy at UCSF. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. 
I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about how families and schools are coping with the Omicron variant with ethicist Arthur Kaplan, Jeff Freitas, the president of the California Federation of Teachers, and Naomi Bardock, a pediatrician and associate professor of pediatrics and health policy. We want to hear from you. Are you approaching this surge differently from your approach in March 2020? And what do you want to ask these experts about how to keep students and teachers safe or even just how to think your way through this muddle of ethical concerns and and safety precautions? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. Wanted to bring in Anjita from Morgan Hill into our conversation. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. So I have um, three children, all under five, mm. a newborn, two-year-old, and three-and-a-half-year-old. All the adults in the family, myself, husband, uh, our parents, everybody is fully vaccinated and boosted, but obviously the children are not. And I just wanted to get your experts' thoughts. Um, I'm a little concerned, especially for the newborn. The two older ones go to daycare. And again, nobody at daycare is vaccinated, um, children. Um, So how worried should we be about Omicron? Um, I know COVID, previous COVID uh, variants were not too bad for children. But what's Mm. the data on Omicron and and very young children? Um, I'll take my question offline. Thank you. Anahit, first of all, three kids under five during the pandemic. Our our collective hat is off to you. That's even without a pandemic, it's amazing. Um, Dr. Bardock, what what do you want to tell Anahit? Uh, hi, yeah, thank you. Very important question. Um, so uh, the um, patterns that we're seeing across the country are that because Omicron is so much more contagious that we're seeing increased numbers of hospitalizations um, uh, of children with um, positive COVID tests. It looks like about half of those positive COVID tests actually just have to do with um, having COVID, but getting admitted for other reasons to the hospital. So, uh, and I'm giving this information mostly because when people hear increased hospitalizations of kids with COVID, it's helpful to, to understand that number a little bit better as you think about risk to your own children and what we know. So most, half of them at least are kids who are just happen to be COVID positive, but COVID is not causing them to be ill enough to be in the hospital. And then the other half, um, it's it, part of the reason we're seeing those numbers is just because Omicron is very contagious, not because it's more severe for kids who are who get it so um, in terms of your actual risk of getting covid for like if you get covid as a kid we have seen throughout the pandemic it is less uh severe for kids than it is for adults and we know that omicron is less severe in general for adults for sure across the population we're seeing less illness and that seems to be probably holding true for kids as well so for your individual child if they get omicron it does not look like there's any increased risk and there's a possibility that it would be milder than if they got something earlier like the delta etc yeah i mean it's one of those small blessings we have to count anyway that (laughs) omicron has turned out to be slightly less nasty than previous variants. Uh, Mm I have a um, uh, listener writing in, Christina. I'm a high school teacher with SFUSD. I've done everything I can to be reasonably cautious. Unfortunately, I just don't feel safe at work. I was in close contact with a student who told me they tested positive after the break. SFUSD's contact tracing is ineffective and test results take several days. 
parenthetically, I think that's happening everywhere right now. My partner, also an SFUSD teacher, and I started to show symptoms this weekend. I'm racked with guilt because it seems like I transmitted it from school to my partner who has asthma, and now we will both be out on Monday because we couldn't get rapid tests to take home. SFUSD has failed to protect students and staff. I don't feel listened to or cared about. Jeff Freitas, President, California Federation of Teachers. This is one of your teachers. What do you want to say to her? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, We feel the frustration. We feel the fear. We feel the the concerns coming from everybody in the education system. Uh, We know that the working conditions are also the learning conditions of the students. So if the the educators, um, and, and when I say educators, I'm talking about everybody that works in the education system, um, uh, do not feel safe. We know that the, the students and parents are not feeling safe. And we have to think also um, about the, the students that take home COVID. We just heard from a parent, a parent obviously they're five years or younger, but imagine that they were um, four years down the road and they were all in school bringing that home. We have concerns about the parents or their, their primary uh, caregivers uh, getting sick as well. We've seen so many stories about that. So, um, we, that's why the union is fighting so hard and pushing back so hard with the administration to get the right things out um, to, to the educators, to the, to the school society, the, the school group. Um, we're making sure of testing. We got to get the testing there. They have gotten hundreds of thousands of tests in San Francisco, but they're not rolling them out. Um, we're requiring masks, making sure that we have um, the, the proper masks for students and staff. And those are the things that they're fighting for in San Francisco. And those are the things that the union's fighting for. And you can hear it from the very person that you talked about, the frustration that they're not feeling safe in some of these old buildings that we've been focusing on also trying to get air filtration uh, fixed um, and other uh, situations to make these environments safe. Um, so that, that's what we've been struggling with. And that's what you're seeing in San Francisco. And that's why you're seeing the frustration of these educators like you just read. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I just want to say, too, you know, it's not just SFUSD. I mean, independent schools, that is to say private schools, the uh, many districts are struggling with this all across our entire region. And, you know, one of the major reasons I just don't want us to lose sight of this is variants reset a lot of the variables that schools have been trying to work with to come up with the equation that will keep kids in school, that will keep teachers safe. And it's really difficult to balance, as we've heard from our ethicist, Arthur Kaplan. And Omicron has been extremely difficult in basically every setting where people gather. And so I think it's worth keeping that in mind, not because it lets anybody off the hook, but people really just had the month of December to change. And if you've worked in big systems, you know how hard it is to come up with an entirely new plan in a month. Uh, Lisa in San Francisco, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm a parent of three SFUSD students who have just recovered from COVID, and we had a very positive experience with dealing with availability of tests. Everyone has been instructed to stay home if you don't feel well, and there are multiple sites around the city with hours at all different times of the day where you can go get a test. There are drop-off sites at schools. SFUSD, in order to open for the six weeks that we did open, were required to have all kinds of mitigation measures in place. Those are still in place. So windows windows are open. There are air purifiers. Kids are required to wear masks. Many sites are now providing 
the KN95 mask to their staff and students. Parents are engaged. Community members are engaged. Rollouts of all of these mitigation measures have been going on since the spring. So this idea that it's a free-for-all here is absolutely not true. Communities, local communities are coming together with their schools to ensure that students and teachers are safe. And furthermore, anyone who missed school last week, teachers, students, staff, that COVID contraction was over the winter break. We haven't been in school for two weeks. And this variant is so contagious. We are fully vaccinated. I am boosted. My husband is boosted. We still came down with a mild case of COVID. I gave my children Motrin. We drank tea for a few days. We isolated. And then as soon as we were able to have a negative test after five days, my children were able to return to school. This virus is going to be endemic, I think, and trying to operate a COVID zero policy is not sustainable for our children or our communities. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for that, Lisa. Uh, Dr. Bardock, I'm going to come to you in just a second, um, but I wanted to read this comment from Anna on Instagram. As an early childhood educator, I wish that parents who can manage their children at home or with family would take advantage of that right now. My workforce is severely strained by losing staff due to COVID-related quarantine, and we're now starting to see children testing positive. This is happening very close to me right now. I'm worried for the safety of my students should they continue to attend school in mass. I'm concerned about teacher burnout as we struggle to keep classrooms properly staffed. And Dr. Bardock, I thought maybe you could speak to our preschool uh, parents out there right now, um, as well as, as the, the broader array of parents about what they should be think Should they be trying to pull their children? Do you think it's worth doing that at this moment, say for a, a couple of weeks or, or not? Um, I, I would uh, echo um, uh, Arthur Kaplan's comment that each parent is going to be making decisions on their own. I do think that it's really important for people to remember the key layers we have that that um, that the prior uh, caller just commented on, and also uh, Mr. Freitas commented on, which is that um, you know we have really important um, the the sort of playbook or the way we're going to get through Omicron together is vaccinate, 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 and I think we're forgetting how much the vaccinations actually really do protect people, and even for the preschool. Um, kids who are not eligible to be vaccinated, it's really important that the adults around them, so every preschool teacher should be vaccinated and boosted. And I know it feels like it's it's a broken record, but actually we really have to remember how we made a huge investment in the beginning of the um, pandemic, shutting down schools, shutting down society. And it bought us time, really crucial time to get to where we are today, which is very effective vaccinations, an ability to, to get boosted, a milder form of the of the uh, virus, and then also actually really good treatments. So even people who get the virus and get more severe illness with it or at risk of more severe illness, they can get the treatments that we know to be effective. We have several different treatments that are known to be effective. So just helping people kind of remember that and then making that decision if you're a, if you um, are a parent of a preschooler, who are the people in your home? Are you worried about them being the more at risk group, um, as was mentioned before? And then also, 
are the people in the preschool who can get vaccinated? Are they vaccinated and boosted? And what does their mask game look like? We should be mm-hmm. upping our mask game in all settings. So are they wearing those can those um, N95s or KF94s also are a good form of mask? So making sure that those pieces are in place are really important. Yeah. Let's go to the phones again. Matt in Kentfield. Welcome to the call. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I was uh, calling in to just share a funny story of our family. You know, parents are vaccine boosted. Uh, five-year-old is vaxxed. Three-year-old is not eligible yet. But the other day, my wife got a false positive before we were supposed to host Christmas Eve dinner. And so I sent her to her room and uh, put my mask on. And she came out a few minutes later and started laughing. And she says, get over here. And she started kissing me. And she says, you know what? This Omicron is the one to get. We're excited for this. Let's do this. And that's the first time that she's, you know, initiated kissing in a long time. So I, I kind of like this Omicron thing. But we're of the feeling that it is the right variant to uh, to start exercising because society in general now, I think, has gotten to a point where it needs to happen. Our kids are going to have uh, COVID around their lives their whole time. So we need to be exposed. We need to be exercising this for them. So we're at the point now that we are comfortable with trying to uh, get COVID. I think we've seen some people trying to have the type of uh, chicken pox parties that you've seen in the past and uh, start to share this uh, because it's a safer variant. And I think that people have exercised so much caution up the years and we have too, but at this time it's, uh, it's something that people are starting to look at. All right, Matt, thank you for that. Uh, Arthur Kaplan, uh, and we're going to come to you, Dr. Bodick as well in a second, but uh, Arthur Kaplan, what are the ethics of just saying, all right, forget it. We have done enough. This one seems to be milder. Let's give up. And, you know, I guess eventually we will society will do this as we transition from pandemic to endemic. But that that Rubicon seems difficult to cross. Yeah, very difficult. We're not sure still what the impact is of this variant on kids. Let's be clear. And I think Dr. Maldonado, before she had to leave us, made this clear. Um, We don't know what long term effects COVID will have, even this variant that's milder in adults on kids. So I'm not ready to give up quite yet. And I'm not ready to just expose every two-year-old to the virus. I think we still have to try and take some protective action. I do agree that the best thing we can still do is vaccinate because that seems to mitigate for everybody uh, symptoms that pop up right now. And hopefully will give us some protection against longer term impact. But I do want to say this too. Let's plan for the next wave. Why are we in the middle of arguing out what to do when we saw Omicron coming mm, many Early November, right. before yeah. we got into this mess? We don't have policies in place. We don't have tests in place in a lot of places. We don't have masks. We don't have a decision about are we going to bring back certain grades or does a school certify as being ventilation safe? So let's start the planning for the next wave now. Because we clearly didn't do it for this one. Yeah, Dr. Bardock, what do you say as a pediatrician to people who are like, listen, I've gotten vaccinated and boosted. My kids, those over five, are vaccinated. I'm done. Like, I, I, am, you know, I will meet my fate with Omicron. What do you say to them? Um, I think there's two different perspectives. There's the individual perspective and then there's the societal perspective. And what we are seeing is that... Um, 
the healthcare, you know, um, our healthcare systems are getting overwhelmed. And that's just because the absolute number of cases that lead to, so the absolute number of cases we've seen that's that wall of positives, but then that means that there are people who are getting sick. And that means that it's hard for the healthcare system to deal with those people, even though the number of people is not so hard, it's because it's combined with the healthcare workforce getting um, affected and having to stay out of work um, because they're, because they just have to isolate, not because they're getting severely ill because they're all vaccinated and boosted, but because they have to stay out to isolate. So it's the combination of those things that means that it's putting stress on our healthcare system. That's not good for anybody in society, whether you're COVID positive or COVID negative. So the idea that we should go and have these parties, people, we, I've heard people talk about it. It's that would not be a good idea from certainly not a good idea from a societal perspective. And then there is a, there is still a small chance that you can get, um, that you can have, you know, long-term side effects from, from COVID. And so it wouldn't be something that I would say, oh, you know, you can completely and totally say, oh, I'm not going to worry about it at all. Um, I certainly personally am reassured that if I do get it, that my risks are very low, but I'm not actively going out and trying to get to get it. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, One more quick follow-up for you. Best mask for kids. KN95, something else? What what should kids be wearing? Um, I think as a pediatrician and as a parent, I think the 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 first piece is the best mask for your kid is, a, is the mask that your kid will wear. <laughs> so mm-hmm. number one. Um, but there's certainly things that you can try, you can experiment. I think that a lot of people in the beginning of the pandemic, when we all started wearing masks, they experimented with trying to figure out which mask their kids would wear. Now that we know that the higher quality masks, the KN95, the N95, um, are going to do a better job protecting um, everybody against uh, uh, against Omicron, then it's reasonable to start experimenting again with with buying some of those things. The K, so to very briefly, KF94 is a mask made from um, uh, in Korea. It's similar to the KN94, but the KN94 made in China tends to be not as well regulated. So the recommendation from the big aerosol experts like um, uh, Lindsay Marr and Joseph Allen at Harvard uh, is for the KF94. Um, uh, those are easier to get. Um, and our slightly, you know, the N95 is really good for the healthcare workers. And then the can, and then the N95 um, is also a little bit harder to tolerate, I think, for kids. So I would say KN94 would be um, the optimal. Okay. We've been talking about families and schools coping with Omicron with NYU's Arthur Kaplan, Jeff Freitas, president of the California Federation of Teachers, and Naomi Bardak at UCSF. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? 
You'll have to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.